Hi everyone, welcome to the In The Frame podcast, your premier place to come hear all things filmmaking as we interview wonderful industry professionals. I'm Luke, I'm joined as always by Pip, and today we're with the lovely Claire. How are you Claire? Hi, I'm fine, thank you. Good Amazing. to be here. It's lovely to have you on the podcast, lovely to have you here. Uh, do you remember, if you want to learn more about OSVD, you can go to www.osvd.org, not .com, .org. And um, yeah, let's get let's get straight into it. Well, Claire, brilliant. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us and taking part in this. I really appreciate that. Why, why don't you just to begin with, just tell us a little bit about your background, uh, what you've been working on these past several years, and, and also how you got into TV. Okay, so at the moment I'm working as a drama producer and exec. Um, but it's been a bit of a, an unusual route to get here. Usually people that work in drama as producers have either come one of two routes. One is through development, which is working on scripts and working with writers and coming up the script editing side. And the other is working as uh, a coordinator, production manager, line producer coming through the production side. Um, I started off my career as a journalist. So I was working in radio all the way through university um, for um, uh, Radio 4th in Edinburgh and then for Central FM in Stirling. And I thought that being a journalist and writer was what I wanted to be until I started getting sent out on stories where I felt like I couldn't remove myself from the story. So doorstepping the parents of children who had died in car crashes and things like that. And I, I got to the point where I just thought, I'm really not cut, off to be a, cut out to be a journalist. I can't kind of separate myself from the story and get the necessary detachment. Mm. And so um, my first job was at Granada Television, but all of my radio journalism and writing experience kind of came in really useful. So the job was making trailers for TV programmes Mm. I must admit that at the time I went for the interview, I kind of thought, you know, 30 seconds for a trailer, how hard can it be? <laughs> um, what I didn't know at the time was that the making trailers for Granada at that point was pretty much their version of the BBC production trainee scheme. Mm. So you had to do everything. You had to learn how to write, how to direct, how to commission graphics, how to cast, how to um, go out and search for locations for things, because quite often, if you were doing something for a program that was really early in its development or it was still in production, you wouldn't have any material. So you'd have to go out and shoot something instead. So, you know, somebody could say to me, oh, we need something on the TV tomorrow. And you'd have to go out and shoot something that afternoon. You'd have to set it up really quickly. Um, so the very first thing I um, made when I was at Granada Studios was a, an advert for Granada Studio Tour which was um, at the time they had like a backlot of all the sets that they'd had for things like Sherlock Holmes and Coronation Street, things like that. So I had to go and shoot an advert for them for a Granada Studios tour, which was a great introduction. And as part of that, I got to talk to um, the DP, who was a guy called David Odd, who filmed lots of big Granada dramas. You know, he, he filmed Sherlock Holmes and he filmed, you know, the, the really big things that they were making for for Granada and he taught me so much about kind of directing and about camera um, so it was kind of real baptism of fire but great training at the same time and um, then we had to kind of figure out uh, scripting and everything like that so we were kind of making trailers on a regular basis 
and um, becoming part of the production community at Granada. So you were getting to know the producers and the directors and, and everybody else. Mm-hmm. So it was a great insight into not only production, but also how to network, how to make yourself memorable to other people that then might take you on to work on other jobs um, and how to make connections with people that would ra- last for the rest of your life. Um, and later on in my career, I worked uh, on Shameless as an, ex- as an executive producer. And on my first day, I walked into the production office and the woman who was there, who was working as the line producer was somebody that I'd worked with at Granada 20 years ago. So you just carry on meeting these people all the way through mm-hmm. your life. Um, I worked at Granada for a couple of years, decided that actually I wanted to develop my writing skills more and went and did an MA in creative writing. Um, And then after I'd finished that, I realised that I couldn't support myself as a writer straight away. So I had to try and combine it with production at the same time. So I carried on as a freelance, uh, producing and directing trailers during the week, reading scripts at night as a script reader, going home all weekend and writing script reports and doing that for about 18 months until I got work uh, as a script reader and a kind of trainee script editor in-house at a company called Red Rooster. And they were making TV programs and films. So I kind of had to do my writing in my own time and develop my skills in drama development, which which was great. I kind of felt like the production bug had hit me, but I'd got properly into drama at that point. Um, And I tried to combine the two things, writing and production, and then realized that although I thought I wanted to be a writer, if I sat in a room on my own for the rest of my life, I probably would go mad because (laughs) I'd kind of been bitten bitten by the production bug at the same time. You know, that feeling of, you know, you have to go out and shoot something tomorrow and kind of seeing how dramas were put together and how they were developed um, just made me think, well, actually, The production side is probably more right for me. I still get to work on stories. I still get to develop stories and work with writers, but I have that sense of community and working with people and getting things done and getting things made. I think I always thrived on the adrenaline of that a little bit. So I made a very conscious decision at that point to leave my uh, thoughts of being a writer behind and to move on into drama development. Mm. And I worked in drama development for lots of years after that, moving through different companies. So from Red Rooster, I went to Alibi Film and TV and then to Ecos Film and TV and eventually ended up being head of development at Impossible Pictures, where um, when I first went to work there, we had one thing on the development slate that they had in development with ITV. And within about a year, I think we had 10, one of which was Primeval. So yeah. I got to know quite a lot about dinosaurs. Great program. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, at OSD, we like dinosaurs here. Or at least I we like do. Dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. I'm, I grew up watching so much sci-fi and Doctor Who and things yeah. like that. So, you know, my English teacher would be saying to me, you really must read Jane Austen. And I'm like, really? Okay. No, dinosaurs. Yes. Rather than watching <laughs> Doctor Who and looking at dinosaurs. Yeah. So, um, but I remember one day when I was working at Impossible Pictures, my husband phoned me up and he said, so how's your day been? And I said, well... I spent this morning talking about dinosaurs and about a dinosaur that had uh, a dinosaur worm that had 11 different sexes, which I can't quite get my head around how anything could be 11 different sexes. Um, And then I talked about yetis for a film that we were working on. And then I talked about singing nuns 
for a, for a musical that we had in production and he just went, your job is just so not real. But it's so varied, literally you can be carrying lots of different stories in your head. So any drama development, com any drama company usually has a slate of projects in development and you can be working across all of those at the same time. So yeah, everything from singing, dancing nuns to um, yetis and dinosaurs. <laughs> and uh, we made a show for ITV called Pickles, the dog who won the World Cup, which had a talking dog and singing ferrets and more 1966 World Cup football than I ever want to see again in my life. But it was good fun. It was good fun. Mm. Um, this is me rambling. Is this okay? <laughs> no, no, this is great. Look, one, just <laughs> so before badly. Luke... Yeah, just before Luke pitches in with um, a question, mm. I wanted you to clarify something really quickly. So I think it's very yeah. a very important kind of take home message, really, and that is that it, how, how long was it from that initial, you know, kind of thinking you're going to be one thing, going and trying a bunch of different things, to the point where you felt, oh, kind of, yeah, I've, I've landed in the role that I f I feel this is the role for me within the industry. Mm. It was quite a while and like I say it was an unusual route most people go very defined routes into doing the job that I'm doing and I kind of wandered around and had to kind of find out what I wanted to do to think about wanting to do one thing and then to divert mm. was quite difficult and I find myself having to take several backward steps at one point so mm. what I didn't mention in between all that was uh, before I went into drama I was actually working at children's ITV for a while as well kind mm. of running their trailer and production department and it was a very nice, very well-paid managerial job that at the time paid more than my dad was earning. And when I decided to leave that, because I, I always thought that telling stories in some way was what I wanted to do. And I thought that being in children's TV might lead me into entertainment or um, you know, studio-based programs, which wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I decided that I would step back and go freelance and, and do the kind of script development and teach myself how to be a script reader. And my dad kind of said, you're absolutely mad. You know, you're earning you're earning a good living. Why would you want to be freelance and, and have that uncertainty of how you, you know, whether you're going to earn a living or not? But I think if there is something that you know is not quite right, if you're able to, it's nice to be able to take a sideways step. Yeah. And I always think that, you know, although it seems like I've had lots of disparate experience, which a lot of people in my job don't necessarily have, it also feels like nothing is ever wasted. Mm. So um, when I was making trailers, I had to shoot and edit my own stuff, which has given me a good insight and background to how directors and how editors work. You know, so when I'm sitting in a, an edit suite now as a drama producer or an exec, you know, I can have conversations about, you know, can we take that a few frames back or, you know, can we, you know, cut to the halfway through the move or, you know, things like that, things where you kind of develop a language. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do feel like none of that experience has been wasted, although I kind of wandered around. And I think you have to be prepared sometimes to backtrack mm -hmm. and take a slightly different route. Mm -hmm. um, and quite often I think if I could give myself advice now from when I was in my 20s part of that ad advice would be don't worry too much about feeling that you have to stick in one job or you have to go one way because there might be lots of different routes to the thing that you want mm. to do and along the way you can kind of find out what your strengths are 
my strength was not sitting in a room on my own. My strength was being able to bounce ideas off other people and still get excited about stories and develop them with other people mm -hmm. rather than just having to sit and work on my own all the time. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. I just love hearing <laughs> hearing your um, your story and how you kind of how you kind of discovered uh, what you wanted to do. Because I think that's something that really gets overshadowed a lot is the fact that you can go into the industry thinking you want to do one thing, yeah. and really discover that there is there's something else that you you're really better at uh, better at doing. And so, yeah. and uh, I think mm. I think it's also because people don't always know about all the jobs that are available in the industry. Mm. You know, when I when I I'm working on something at the moment now, uh, uh, a young adult drama that's in development for Apple TV um, and working with an American company called Lionsgate. And as part of that, you know, I'm involved in working with the writer and developing the storytelling, but I'm also, you know, figuring out where we're going to shoot in the world. So talking to the location managers in New Zealand and Romania and Canada and Norway. And, but as part of that, I've also had to find out a lot more than I already knew about VFX. And I, and I felt like I knew quite a lot from things like Primeval, you know, making dinosaurs happen on screen. I felt like I knew quite a lot. But when you go and talk to people, you find out a whole host of jobs that you never knew existed in VFX. Yeah. Or when I went to talk to somebody from Framestore who was working on his dark materials, and I was talking to him at the studio in Cardiff, he was giving me a tour around the set and you can kind of see the designers working on the set and the level of detail. You know, I didn't even know any of these jobs existed. Mm -hmm. You know, not, nobody in my family worked in TV to the point where my dad, when I was 14 and told him that I wanted to work in TV, he actually sat me down and said, people like us don't work in TV, love. <laughs> you know, to him, it was more believable that I might become a doctor. And in yeah. fact, every time I came home from university, I was studying English and film. Every time I came home from university, he said, it's not too late, you can still be a doctor. <laughs> and I'm like, I think it might be too late yeah. uh, to go that route. <laughs> um, but he just thought that, you know, unless you were from a certain class or you had a certain amount of money or when I started in drama you know daddy runs the company you know that it just wasn't believable so mm. I did have to do a lot of making my own contacts mm. and um, even at university you know working as a journalist trying to pay my way through university that way that kind of came about as a happy accident from having done work experience mm. but trying to make yourself mm. indispensable yeah. trying to trying to get to the point where people think oh they are offering something to us that we didn't even know we needed mm. you know um and and then they remember you and i say that to other people i do some mentoring for a, an educational charity called villiers park which is kind of helping people into their first careers mm. from backgrounds that might be kind of outside where those uh, jobs mm. normally take uh, people mm. from and um, one of my mentees came in to work at one of the companies. I helped kind of get her some work experience. But once she got in there, she really made herself memorable to the point that when somebody else in the company in a few months time kind of said, that person's going on off on holiday for a little while and we need somebody to fill in. That girl that came in from work experience, she was really fantastic. Do you think she mm. might want some paid work? Shall we get her back? You know, so once she came in, she kind of made herself memorable and people, mm -hmm. people value that, you know, if you come in and you're full of ideas and you're full of enthusiasm, um, people think you've got something to offer. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Yeah. 
Um, talking about your, your your working in TV, a lot of young yeah. people aspire to kind of make it into TV. And I know from my experience, that coming from a non-traditional background of kind of not going to university, that kind of stuff, it can be really hard sometimes to find the right in with TV. Yeah. Um, what would you recommend to, to young people who really want to get on, get, get in a TV company? Um, I would recommend trying to make contacts as much as you can. Mm. You know, whether that is going to events where you hear people speak and asking them questions if you can as part of the audience and then trying to talk to them afterwards yeah some people do that I think that's quite smart um quite often in kind of working my way up if I kind of identified where I thought I might want to go next or what I might need to do next I tried to talk to somebody who was doing that job or that role and quite often just said I'd really love to pick your brains, kind of take you out for a cup of coffee and a piece of cake mm. and kind of ask you how I do this next and kind of either they gave really good advice or they said I can introduce you to so and so. Mm. Um, when I first started in the job, I had no contacts at all. Nobody that worked in the industry. In my very first job at Granada, I was extremely lucky because I just answered a job that was in the paper. Mm. And Quite often that doesn't even happen these days, you know, okay. with a, uh, yeah. a job that was in The Guardian on a Monday, which used to have a media section. Mm. So that route kind of feels a bit less possible nowadays. Mm. But I would say, yeah, show that show that you either have some experience or you have the real interest. Try and make as many personal contacts with people as possible or find out if there's anybody who knows anybody and you can kind of do it that way. Mm. Ask for advice. Always be nice always be polite <laughs> try and make yourself memorable yeah um and once you've made a connection follow up with them not to the point where you kind of make yourself a pain in the backside but you know i quite often say to people you know drop drop me a line every once in a while just let me know how you're getting on mm. because it's great to either hear what they've been doing and how they've developed or it's nice to kind of be reminded, you know, I might be working on something thinking, oh, I'm kind of thinking that I might need somebody to do this job. If somebody drops me a line and says, remember me, we had a cup of coffee and I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I should go and talk to that person again. You know, so it just kind of keeps you in their head. Okay. But yeah, this is very much a people business, especially in drama where quite often you're selling ideas, you know, mm. uh, and talking to commissioners and things like that. People, people buy from people. You know, people work with people that they find nice to work with. Very true. So, yeah, try and try and make good contacts um, and be nice to everybody. You never know where they're going to be next. <laughs> following on, following on from that, Claire, do you think? Because Luke, Luke mentioned, you know, he didn't he didn't go the kind of the 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 university route, and obviously there is a there is an obvious route there to go into higher education. There's you know, plethora of different types of courses nowadays, like loads, some of them really quite specialist. Um, you know, if people perhaps do have quite a clear idea of, of, of what they want to be. But for those that don't go that kind of, let's say, a slightly more traditional route doing that, and are yeah, all of the things that you say are, are absolutely, you know, spot on. But do you also think that they need to be creating things, making things, even if they're not the the central collaborate, collaborate, you know, the writer, the director, the producer, the cinematographer, but even if they're just going along and, and being part of that process, that they're seen to be active, doing yeah. things, making things. Is that something that would, that would be important to you to see? Yeah, I think always being able to show that you've actually done something 
or are doing something or that you're finding out by doing it is all really useful. Mm. I mean, when I was first at university, the, the course that I did was English and film, but it was very theoretical at the time. We had to, if we wanted practical experience, we had to go out and kind of do it ourselves. And at every stage where I've also been kind of looking at what, what I wanted to do next, it's it made a massive difference if I'd already been able to prove that I'd done it somehow. So even though I was kind of working in some of these areas, I was doing things in my spare time or doing things that, you know, I felt would help to get me to the next stage, you know, making short films, doing things like that where you have to learn so quickly and learn on the job and make connections with people, you know, when I was doing it, I was working on other people's short films as well. You know, I've been a boom operator. I've been, you know, helping sorting out costumes. I've uh, been a runner. I've been a driver. I've been all kinds of things on other people's films as well. Mm. So I think, yes, being able to show that you can do something or that you have some experience, even if it's kind of in a kind of um, trainee or development role is really useful. Mm. And it's also useful to figure out what, what and how you want to do things as well at a point at which I was thinking that I wanted to produce rather than just work in drama development with scripts in an office mm -hmm. I knew it was extremely unlikely that I would get a, a gig as a producer straight away within a tv company because the stakes are so high it costs so much to make drama mm -hmm. it wasn't likely that somebody was going to trust me as a trainee producer with no experience whatsoever so I went out and made short films as a producer because I want for myself, I wanted to see whether I enjoyed that too. You know, do I want to be a producer? I should probably produce something and find out whether I actually even enjoy that. So yeah, and, and when I did that, it made a massive difference to how people saw me as well. They're kind of going, oh, so you want to be a producer? Oh, and you've produced some things yeah. already in your own time. That was incredibly useful. So yes, go out. If you have a group of friends, make a film, you know? even if you shoot things on your phone these days or you know mm. there's a, a group of people that have made a feature film on zoom in lockdown they made a horror film you know they got together as a group of people as an ensemble of people and went and made something so they wanted to prove that they could do it i think it's, i think it's really useful yeah great answer um Luke? yeah if i could throw in a um throw in a question that wasn't on our list um there is a I'm I'm currently really fascinated with how where the internet's going and where digital creative creation online's going, as well as all the news around stagecraft and the Mandalorian and those digital sets coming together. I yep. was wondering, from your perspective in TV drama, uh, what is what's your opinion on where the dig digital content and kind of filmmaking is going in the future? Is it staying sticking strictly to television, or is it starting to bleed out, and is it starting to really encompass a lot more? than we once thought it, thought it did. Hmm. Do you mean is uh, non-linear TV going to be mm. the way forward? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know what you think coming from a TV background, um, what, on what you think about, what you think about digital content and kind of the rise of things like uh, live streaming and content online on YouTube and Instagram and TikToks and stuff like that. I'm just curious from your traditional background, uh, what you think of yeah. the 
I mean, to me, all of those feel like platforms and they just feel like different ways of broadcasting. Mm. So when people talk about digital and they talk about digital content, mm. I always think, well, what does that mean? Because to me, it's still, if it's drama, it's still a story, right? You know, so you still need storytelling skills and you still need to be able to develop the story and find a way to put it together. So whichever platform that goes out on, I think it nowadays is kind of as valid as anywhere else. And the only difference is either how big your audience is or how much money you've had to put into it, you know, mm. depending on whether you're supported by a broadcaster or not. Yeah. I think people are watching things in lots of different places these days. You mm. know, I used to see it with my, uh, my stepkids, my teenagers, you know, the TV would be on, but they'd be watching something on their computer at the same time, you know, they'd have the headphones in one ear and mm. they'd have the phone going in the background, you know, people are watching things on lots of screens of different sizes mm. i think that just give more opportunities because there are more spaces for people to show things mm. um i do think there is a slight not a slight quite probably quite a big danger of uh, public service broadcasters having less money to do things as they do before as the streaming giants kind of take over so netflix and Amazon just seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger and kind of swallow up more creators and, and kind of have a constant need for, for content. Um, I think that might be a danger to public service broadcasters in the future and the budgets they have to offer. Mm. Um, and I think we would miss those broadcasters when they're gone. Mm. Um, but I think those broadcasters also have to move with the times. You know, BBC is starting to see uh, the possibilities of their iPlayer I don't know really why they haven't monetized the iPlayer and kind of, you know, used it as a global platform in the way that Netflix does. You know, they've got a great name. They've got a great brand. Why aren't they using their iPlayer as, as a way to kind of monetize content? You know, BBC films, you could buy them off the iPlayer. So I think that the kind of more traditional broadcasters are going to have to change how they think about things. They're going to have to change how they think about audiences. And they're going to have to think about how they develop themselves in this new world and what their strengths are as broadcasters themselves. Amazing. Incredible. I, th I think I think that's very valid, actually. And I think, I mean, obviously, BritBox is, is one of the ways that, you know, certainly BBC and ITV have tried to reimagine. It was interesting they launched that in America before it actually came to the UK. Yeah. Um, which I thought was quite interesting. But... Um, I think one of the things that maybe Luke was alluding towards as well, though, is that as technology and, 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 and the way that technology enables things to be created and be published, mm. um, are we going to see the potential of storytelling finding new avenues in perhaps like immersive storytelling or, like you said, nonlinear uh, formats that are, you know, built within apps and you know much more within that kind of like mobile communication sort of atmosphere if you like than the traditional bigger broadcasters or, or even moving beyond the idea of even things like the platforms like netflix and and amazon you know is it going to become something that's much more dynamic and much more immersive and, and even to, to an extent people who people can actually as as a as a user interface themselves within that world do you see do you see those sorts of things potentially coming forward uh yeah there's kind of several different parts to that question i think people have been experimenting with that kind of more immersive form of storytelling for years um and um 
Black Box tried to do it, didn't they, on mm. um, Netflix. Um, and I think that's been one of the ways that, you know, drama writers, quite a few of them have branched out into games as well. You know, yeah. that way of kind of telling stories where you can tell it kind of several different entry points and several different exit points. But I also think that audiences, you know, like to be taken on a ride. And I think quite often they like to feel that somebody else is in control, you know, that, yeah. they're, that they're not creating the story, but they can sit back and enjoy somebody else's experience mm. and that they can kind of switch off and be entertained in a way. Yeah. But I think there's always going to be kind of, you know, the people that kind of want that experience. I think there is always going to be a platform for doing that kind of stuff. But I also think there's going to be, you know, people that just love being told stories. I do think the technology means that we can tell different kinds of stories than we could before. Mm. Um, at the moment, I'm just um, in in talks with a, a, an agent about a series of four books, which are a YA set of books, young adult books. They're great stories. And I'd always thought, you know, wouldn't it be fantastic if there was the way to make them for film or TV? But because of how they how the story is told and the area in which it was told I always thought it was just going to be impossible you know some of the action happens underwater you know and mm. people are talking to each other and I just thought you know there's no way you could do that how would you be able to do that um but in kind of doing all my research for the other piece that I'm working on with Lionsgate at the moment the technology has caught up where you can do you know dry for wet shooting you shoot in the studio but you can make it look like things are happening underwater mm. so it feels like technology is catching up now to make different kinds of stories possible that we might have dismissed before mm. um, so that's quite exciting you know thinking that you know oh actually i can see a way that we can make this work now mm. um and seeing how the studios are also playing around with um backgrounds that are you know not built sets or you know scenery that's painted but they're using screens in the background because mm. the resolution is now so good that it looks so real that they can use that as a backdrop instead of having to go out and shoot something on location mm. all that's quite interesting um motion capture mo motion control has always been really interesting thinking how you can use that in stories mm. um so i think yeah i think there are going to be ways to kind of bring you closer to the action and bring you closer to the experience and then immerse you in the story in a different way, whether that's being actively involved in creating the story or whether you want to sit back and enjoy it, I think. Yeah. It would depend on what kind of person you are and what kind of entertainment experience you want. Mm. Amazing. That kind of rolls, rolls really seamlessly into our last question we had, which was um, with the pandemic, um, how, what, how do you see the future and how do you see the both challenges and potentials of as we go into the future post pandemic, but also currently from the situation we've all been in as an industry. Yeah, mm. uh, I think the pandemic has been quite brutal for mm. production. Um, a lot of the community is freelance and uh, quite a lot of the community is self-employed that working in production. So that's been quite br brutal in terms of people's livelihoods. Mm. At the moment, production is still allowed to go ahead. And, um, I think the film and TV industries have had some of the strictest COVID controls anywhere. You know, my, my sister's a nurse doing vaccinations and, you know, we talk about kind of COVID safe um, scenarios all the time. And she's often quite amazed. You know, I, I had to update, update my training the other day, update my certificate the other day um, for my COVID safe working, you know, that says that I can go on a set and I'm safe to work on that set. And, you know, she's often quite amazed that it's so detailed and quite technical and, mm. you know, it's very strict about 
where you can go, what you can do, how far you apart you have to be, whether you do tests or not, whether you can have people remote viewing of rushes of things that are happening on set. You know, people are developing new technology to do that, where you can yeah. sit and watch what's going on a set from anywhere in the world. You know, mm. previously you had to be there, you had to be in the video village watching what was going on the screen. I don't think that's going to be necessary anymore. Um, which as an exec is quite interesting to me, you know, quite often I would have to be flying to all kinds of different places to go to the set to kind of see what was happening and, and be part of it. But now there might be times when I don't need to do that. I might still want to do that, but there might be times when I don't need to do that. Mm. And in, in COVID, trying to keep as, as many people that don't need to be in production on the production set as possible away, I think has really been quite useful. Um, I think the things that are still shooting are perhaps different kinds of things that might they might have been shooting before the pandemic, particularly in drama. So uh, quite often in drama, if we want big historical period backgrounds, um, we might go and shoot them somewhere else. You know, we might go and shoot them in another country where construction is cheaper than it is in the UK. I think there's been much less international travel. Yeah. Um, I think there has been a bias towards continuing with shoots where they can happen in controllable places in studio sets rather than in lots of different locations. So that's made a difference to the kind of dramas that have continued. Mm. And there was also a big um, move to get the government to back uh, insurance because when the, when the pandemic first started, all the insurers basically said, well, no, we're not going to cover that. Yeah. And if you don't have you don't have insurance to do your shoot, you're not going to be able to go ahead because if your lead actor gets sick and you have to abandon it, you know that could roll on with people's availabilities. You might never finish that shoot. So you know the insurance was a massive thing. Yeah. Um, and I think there are lots of practices that people have adopted during COVID that are probably going to continue in the future. So things like you know not having everybody crammed in the set watching things in Video Village. I think that's mm. going to Day, you know being able to do that remote viewing everywhere um having people traveling less mm. um having people this is kind of also part of the um the move towards having greener production as well with albert you know having yeah. things that are sustainable in production as well so thinking about bringing your own water bottle onto the set rather than having lots of water bottles doled out every single day, you know, having your own, keeping your own, you do that in COVID, that's good for the planet as well. Mm. So there are some things that are kind of good for the environment as well that we're going to continue to. Um, I'd like to think that there's going to come a point where we can go back to thinking about, you know, massive productions that can move all over the world. Um, one of the things that I'm working on at the moment, we have very actively been looking about whether we might go and shoot it in New Zealand, because, mm. you know, if we go over there and we quarantine after that, the restrictions would be much less because their environment is much safer than ours mm. is at the moment because they're more or less COVID free. So mm. I think it's going to, I think it's going to have an impact on where people choose to shoot in the world. Mm. Incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Claire. I think that's it. And I see if anything you'd like to add. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure um, chatting with you about the industry, about your career. Thank you. Thank I actually you. got one, one, one brief question, which I'm just, I'm just going to throw in, <laughs> yeah. just because I think, um, and that is just, uh, for, do you think within um, 
the way in which people can access getting into the industry do you have you seen over the past number of years that getting better for you know people from diverse backgrounds in terms of gender equality etc do, do you think it is better now in terms of more accessibility for people to actually get into the industry or do you think it's stagnating um I think it's better in that people are much more aware of the choices that they make. Um, I remember having conversations with people at one of the companies that I was working with about, you know, how, how and where we chose to look for people that might, you know, apply for a job or, you know, where we might look for candidates. And I remember at that particular time, somebody turning around and saying to me, well, I thought we'd just choose the best person for the job. And I said, yes, but it depends where you're looking for the people that come to do the interview before you choose who's the best person for the job. If it's, you know, all the sons and daughters of people that work in the company that are kind of, you know, want to get into the industry, that's a very small pool of talent. But if we're advertising it in different places and different parts of the country, spreading your net wider, then that will make a real difference to who comes in. I think we need a real mix of experience. Yeah. And I think going back to my own experience of you know people like us don't work in tv mm. i remember at the time i was uh, i was growing up on merseyside brookside was on tv and boys from the black stuff had just been on tv and i remember looking at those two things and deciding that my dad must be completely wrong because if there was nobody like me working in tv then how did those two programs get made and mm. um, i think there is a big thing about if you can see it you can be it yeah. and i think we do need to spread um not spread we need to think about experiences more widely be open to different kinds of ideas and different kinds of stories i think it's really interesting that in one country where a film body a film council for that country decided that they were going to give their funding equally to male directors and female directors what was really interesting there was that in the following years when those films were made the films from female directors were getting more awards elsewhere because they were telling stories that nobody had seen before and that felt different and new and unusual. You know, they were standing out in the market in a different way. But that took people to make a difference to say, actually, we're going to treat this in a different way. We're going to look at doing this in a different way. I think now there are many more um, training opportunities and schemes that look for people from a diverse range of backgrounds. Um, and then there's awareness of that in a way that there hasn't been before. I think the industry does change very, very slowly, but I think it is starting to happen. Thank God, not before time. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Claire, for joining us today on the podcast. Um, please like and subscribe OSBD and uh, follow us on YouTube, on our website. Uh, if you're listening on the audio podcast, please follow us and give us a review and, you know, just let us know that you're liking it and let us know if there's anything we can do. Um, thank you, Claire, once again. Is there anywhere we can follow you to keep up to you with your work? Uh, I don't have my website at the moment, so I have chosen not to spend my money on that and chosen to spend my money on development. Um, I'm always on Twitter. Um, I uh, have things in the press regularly and we're actually just going to press the trade press today with an announcement about one of the dramas that I'm working on. Mm. That's going to be on deadline later today and in The Guardian tomorrow. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Claire. Thanks, Claire. And see you all next time. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.